Welcome back to Real Phonies, where we take a love for movies and television and combine it with very little knowledge about movies and television. I'm your host, Christian. Join me are my co-host, Joseph. Yellow. And Jehu. This week, talking about something that it amazes me we have not talked about in our two and a half years of existing. The first four Harry Potter films. Yep. Uh, definitely, it definitely one. seems like it's well within our, our uh, wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, it was really shocking to me to think about that. We've never really, I think we've all probably like watched them and talked about on, you know, the, what we've been watching, but to really dissect them, we've never, never done that, which is a bit surprising. Uh, yeah, I think we realized at the beginning of last episode, it's impossible to take, I mean, first off, there's just eight films. Even if we did like a brief overview of each one of them, it would have taken fucking forever. But honestly, Four is probably too many. We'll just see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're going to be here a hot minute just talking about the first four of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so do we want to get right into it? I mean, it's this is kind of like a revisited, but I think we revisit these. I, I know I watch them at least once a year, if not more than that. It's probably, it's probably pretty similar. Maybe not every year, maybe like once every two years. It's, it's one of those things where if you watch the first one, then it's just like it's a steamroll effect. You know, you just... Yep. You just keep going into the next one, and then suddenly, eight movies later, you're like, oh, yeah, this, this is a good time. And there's like four or five cable networks who just hand them off and play them over and over in a row. Like, it's like Saved by the Bell in the 90s. If you want to watch Harry Potter, it's on somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Every channel has a Harry Potter weekend. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with number one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, or Philosopher's Stone, if you're one of our neighbors across the sea. You know, our Blu-ray set, Sarah must have bought them cheap from off eBay or something like that, and they're, uh, they're foreign, so it does say Philosopher's Stone on the, uh, on the package. Do they say Philosopher's Stone in the movie? It does not say Philosopher's Stone in the movie. That's fucking weird. That is strange. <laughs> this is off topic, but Philosopher's Stone has completely changed meaning for me after watching Full Metal Alchemist. For sure. Absolutely. Um, but back to this movie. I think Chris Columbus made this. I didn't do a lot of research besides watching Chris Columbus did, did one and two. Yep, correct. Which, uh, first off, I, you know, I want to get into a lot of the, the specific like, cast things and whatever, but you know, like, what the fuck were Chris Columbus's parents thinking naming him Chris Columbus? That's fucking rude <laughs> as shit. Yeah. 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 There's no way I'm not going to look at that and come up with some kind of lazy uh crossing the atlantic joke and then i feel bad about it because it's not good but i have to do it i wonder if it was like a hollywood name maybe he wasn't born that way maybe he chose that name i'm gonna look it up while we're we're doing this it definitely is something that probably when he when he got it it seemed like a cool name that would you know inspires people to to like him and now you know different times it's kind of a dark name indeed yeah (laughs) I do yep. think he was kind of... Go ahead. Oh, okay. So it is his parents' fault. Yep. Um, I do think he's a good choice for these films, at least to begin with, because he, he kind of has like made his name on this um, weird mix of kids' movies that really like adults still get into. Like, I think The Goonies is a really good model of like the type of movie he makes. It's just this like fun kid action-adventure and I think that suits Harry Potter pretty well. He definitely does. I, you know, I never thought of it at this moment, but his genre is kind of children who don't have a problem with trying to murder you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, and his use of practical effects, I think, plays really well in these early films. Agreed. And I think that's, that's something that gets capitalized on in, in some of the later stuff we're going to talk about. But it's, it's uh, you know, there, I think there's a lot of things that were impressive right out the gate here that, paved the way for success for the later films. And yeah, I think uh, for, for all the ways that I think you could have done, you know, magic, uh, Harry Potter magic on screen, uh, you know, especially in like, what was it, 2001? Yeah, really, uh, really. You know, I think he does a really good job of, of like capturing the feeling that I think that you're, you're going for, the same kind of feeling that you get about the magic when you read the books. I got to say, I'm really, I came into this thinking that you guys were in a rail on Chris Columbus and I was going to be his only defender. So I, I kind of don't have anything to say now that you guys are kind of on board as well. Well, I, I, do, I will say I think number two takes a step forward all across the board. Right. Um, and I don't want to move on to that. But I do think the first one is kind of figuring it out. 
And then the second one is really, okay, this is, this is the formula. Um, and I think that's true, not just from his directing perspective, but from the acting and writing as well. Right. Um, right. But I, I think it was almost an impossible task to adapt this insanely popular property and he does a pretty good job. It may not be, I don't know if Sorcerer's Stone is a home run, but I'd give it a solid double or a triple. Like, it does a pretty right. good job. Well, and I mean, particularly since these first two, J.K. Rowling's was really adamant that you don't change anything, you include everything. That's hard to do when he's also trying to make a kid's movie, but this is like a two and a half hour kid's movie. You know? For sure. Yeah, all these yeah. motherfuckers are long. Uh, the other thing that I think is really impressive before we actually get into like the, the actual movies is aside from Richard Harris dying, the cast is consistent throughout all eight movies, pretty much. That's true. You know, I think, yep. I think either Crabbe or Goyle got arrested uh, at some point way down the line, and there's a few little replacements here and there, but as far as like major FaceTime characters, uh, every single one of them makes it from beginning to end, and that's also kind of a minor miracle. Yeah. Yeah. That seems real daunting in today's society. And honestly, it's like the Marvel thing before Marvel did it. Mm. They got all these people to sign on for eight films. And most of them are in all of them. Like once you're in the story and your name's not Sirius Black, you're in it. (laughs) Right, yeah. Do we want to get into the plot of this first film? Yeah, I mean, it definitely sets the tone for, you know, I, I don't know if we talk about this enough or like the internet talks about it enough. But these movies, despite being kind of a, a young wizard's, you know, coming of age adventure story, are really just mysteries, you know, in a, in a magical context. And I think that's something that uh, J.K. Rowling does really well and they capture really well in the movies is, and I think, I think part of the reason that the, the mysteries play so well, one, it's not like the forefront. Again, you're kind of thinking it's, it's like a young adventure story, but really the structure is much more akin to a mystery story but I feel like they play the magical card really well where you're willing to make a lot of like, whereas if you're watching or reading a regular mystery story, you're looking for clues because you know it's a mystery story. But in a magical world, especially in the magical world through the eyes of Harry Potter, who doesn't know anything about the magical world, you know, the rules just seem super fucking arbitrary. Uh, So, you know, there's just like jumping chocolate frogs and moving paintings and fuck (laughs) it. You know, I'm not going to try and explain all this shit. It's just what it is. Right. Uh, and so, like, you're willing, you're not necessarily applying the same amount of, I think, scrutiny to, to every single thing that happens. But then once you've, you know, you've, you've come to the completion of the mystery, you've gotten to the end of the film and learned what's really going on, you realize that all the information, it, it was there enough, that enough of the magical rules were in place for you to figure it out. Uh, but you were just willing to kind of brush them off to the side because of, you know, some, some hand waving and other magical bullshit. And I think that's done really, really well throughout all the films and stories. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like what has made Harry Potter kind of survive. And it's not like it's that old, but is that it, it, it really is a well-crafted story that not only like is just the books are good. Like once, and the movies are good. Once you get to the end of the story, you can see that it's been it's been building up to this point all along, um, and I think she does a really good job of just dropping in minor details or minor plot points that that don't seem important, but later on bear a lot of weight. Right. And that even starts here in this book. Mm. Um, now, I I do want to point on this note that this is where Fantastic Beast gets it wrong. Because she tries to connect things, you know, forward, you know, Fantastic Beasts taking place in the 30s and 40s or whatever. And now we're connecting to events in the the 80s and 90s. Um, it doesn't work in reverse, I don't think. It, it just feels forced and uh, not fleshed out or undeserving. Like, I didn't need to see Nicholas Flamel in Crimes of Grindelwald. Nope. But... I, I understand why she tries to do it because it does work so, so well in these, in these films. And, and I think Chamber of Secrets is a good example of how killing a Basilisk fang you find out, or killing a Basilisk and then, you know, in Half-Blood Prince and then in the Deathly Hallows. Like, those are really important events. Like, mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets ends up being a really big deal later right. on in the series. So, uh, and again, I, I, just, I just feel like the movies do, especially these early ones, 
include so much of the story from the books that they they really hit on what makes those books magical. I agree. So, I mean, you know, this one, uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time recapping the plot to these because everybody who's listening to this has watched and probably <laughs> read Harry Potter about a thousand times. But this movie is, is kind of mostly establishing, hey, it's Harry Potter. He's a, a secret wizard we didn't know. Uh, he goes to Hogwarts, meets all new friends, gets exposed to this magical world, uh, meets a mysterious dark figure that seems to hate him in Severus Snape, who, you know, is, is definitely telegraphed to be our villain of this story uh, and through a, a grand adventure has to uh, discover that the Voldemort, the wizard who killed his parents is still alive and actively trying to return. And some other things happen. Anything, any highlights that we want to mention before we get to the other stuff? One thing I noticed right in the beginning, first scene of this movie is it really could have used somebody who didn't know what was going on. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it, see, it was, it, that first scene is really awkward where they're all calling each other by their full names and, like, basically explaining to each other what the other one does. <laughs> and I was like, you guys already know this shit. And I understand it's for the audience, but it would be a little less awkward in rewatching if there could have been just some numbskull there who didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I did want to ask, what do we think of the cast? In, Adults or kiddies? Because those are two separate categories. Let's start with the kids. Uh, they're all terrible, except for fucking, uh, what is it, Tom Felton? Yeah. Tom Felton's crushing it. Everybody else sucks. I, I disagree. I think they're all good. They're children. They're oh, yeah, they're awesome. children. We've just learned in the last couple of years that there are children actors that are good. Uh, <laughs> and these just weren't them. Luckily, they didn't grow up to be like monsters or anything. Uh, it's so surprising none of these people turned out to be it's, monsters. It's really amazing. Not uh, even one of them died of heroin. But, uh, yeah, look, they get better over time. Uh, but, you know, they're kids. They're not great kids. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all pretty rough, and the kids are all pretty rough in this first film. I think they get better as it goes. But I still stand by my opinion that Daniel Radcliffe, worst part of the Harry Potter series, ends up being the best kid actor that come out of all of them. Though. Ironically, yeah. I like him better in the, in the later ones. Uh, I- but... One issue I have with the kids that isn't really an acting issue, it's just kind of a way they altered the story, is that it seems like in the books, Ron was portrayed more as the magic insider, and he'd be like the guy when the stairs started moving, and he'd be like, chill, the fucking stairs move. That's just a thing that happens. And he doesn't do any of that in the in this, so he's kind of just a blundering idiot the whole yeah, fucking time. Ron, Ron yeah, is insufferable true. in the movies. Except for the fact that he knows how to play chess at the end. He could have done the whole fucking thing without him. No, that's, that's very fair. What about the adults? What do we think of the adults in the movie? Well, uh, you guys might guess that I am contractually obliged to say that, uh, that Severus Snape is fucking awesome. And I mean, you'd be contractually right. So there's, <laughs> but, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that statement. I think everybody's <laughs> good in this. Uh, you know, obviously Quirrell's kind of a one and done thing, but mm. you know, he's, he's, I guess, good for what he is. I like, uh, I like the Dursleys. I like all the professors. And, uh, you know, I know people have strong feelings about the Richard Harris, Michael Gambon thing. And obviously I'm not saying uh, Richard Harris should have died, but I feel like that kind of where it happened, maybe a little later, uh, kind of fits to the different kind of Dumbledores that you know you might get to perceive Agreed. in the movies. He uh, he he definitely only gets to play the like warm, uh, fuzzy uncle version of him, right? Which is which is the which is the version that you know if if it's young Harry Potter, that's the version that he'd see. That's the one he would perceive. Right. I have the controversial opinion that uh, he died at the right time. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, there's no good way to say that. But I, I, I was gonna I, wait till we got to. I was gonna wait till we got to the third movie to actually say that. But I think the exact same thing. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's ter- Michael Gammon's terrible," and I just don't. You know, I don't think that. I think Dumbledore in these first two books is who Richard Harris plays him to be. I just don't know that's who Dumbledore continues to be. Right. And at at Richard Harris's age at the time, like kind of soft, fun grandpa is is the right thing for him to do. Right. Um. And so I think he's you know. I think he's pretty good in this. Overall, I I really like this movie. I think it has some struggles. Maybe now, you know, it it just seems like the the jump up in technology between one and two is real. I don't know. 
a wide gap because this Maybe. one looks old. This one yeah. looks old to me. Uh, Some of the special effects look like PlayStation 2. Okay, yeah. no, that's fair. I've, I'm not a big fan of the Basilisk in 2, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, I also think, I think, I think, like I said, I think this one and, and all the things that it gets right, um, either by intention or by accident, pave the way for the success of the rest of the series. And uh, I, you know, even though it is probably, it is the most kiddie one, it's the most one most directed for kids. Uh, it's still a pretty fun time you know, on any number of rewatches. Do you want to move on to two? Let's do two. Chamber of Secrets, baby. This one's got Kenneth Branagh in it. It sure it does. does. And uh, it might be patient zero for the end credit stinger, or at least the modern version of the end credit stinger. Is there an end credit stinger in this there movie? There is. It doesn't pay off as well. And now that I've brought it up, I can't even remember what it fucking is. Well, that's but a it's something to it's something to do with Kenneth Branagh. I think it's just him being brain dead or some shit. Mm, no, I think now you're you right. Say it. That sounds right. I yeah. think I did see that. But it's so dumb. I forgot about it. Right. 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 Uh, uh, I really, I really like this movie. I, this is also one of my favorite of the books too. Well, this, is, this, this one is was ironic. my favorite one for a long time. Well, it's ironic to me that both of you guys say that because I think, by and large, in in the memories of uh, Harry Potter fans, this is not one of the better remembered ones. But I also think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. It's one that I, I have grown to appreciate more as I've gotten older. And like I said, I've grown to appreciate. Now that I've reread the books like you know several times and watched the movies a hundred times, like I think Chamber of Secrets is really important. It's probably more important than Sorcerer's Stone, and I think it really holds up. I think taking Hermione Hermione out of the situation, great call. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it was like the first one was just setting you up to the world, but this one was basically like, okay, now I now we know we're going to get to tell our whole thing, so let's start setting up for the whole series. Yep. I'm not going to lie to you. I would have loved to see them do the same thing they do in this in a later film, just because I want I want somebody to prove to me that Ron and, and Harry can survive without Hermione. <laughs> They've done it once, but I, you know this is still pretty early on. The stakes were relatively low. Yeah, I mean that is true. The stakes are low, but like you have a possessed girl going around trying to kill people. Like th- those are pretty big stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a giant snake that's going to eat you and murder you or turn you to stone and kill you or whatever. So, right. you know, I guess, I guess it, there are some stakes. And if it doesn't, the giant spider in the woods will. Yeah, fucking Aragog. <laughs> what a shitty friend. <laughs> I will not eat Hagrid's friends, but my children will. Right. <laughs> That's some bullshit right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it, it, it does a lot of the same things. It, it, you know, we establish some new characters uh some you know we got kenneth branagh uh we got dobby and we got lucius malfoy played by the great jason isaac god he's so great at this (laughs) yeah that this might be the best casting in the whole fucking series which is which is is so good (laughs) he's really good yeah um but uh you know same kind of thing it sets up you know this this mystery of these petrified students in the the chamber of secrets uh, and this monster, and there's a lot of, you know, red herrings and twists and turns and the Tom Riddle's diary that, again, d- does a good job of, like, making you think the story is one story and then, you know, it, it, in the third act reveal, the story has been completely different from the beginning. One thing that, Jay, you said you talked about how the first film is really like an introduction to this world, and I completely agree. But now thinking about it, this is like a really lore-heavy film. Yeah, yeah. no, it is. That's true, yeah. Whereas like the first one's like an intro to the world. This is like, this is our history. And this is some of the weird, crazy crap that can go on in this type of society. And uh, it, it does a really good job of presenting it that way be, or presenting it the way that it does. Cause it's never like confusing. Like you never really get lost in it. Even the way they do the uh, Tom saying, you know, my filthy mudblood father or, or whatever muggle father um, like the way they introduced those concepts earlier in the film between Draco and Hermione set that moment up really well. Mm. And it's not at all confusing, uh, which is, it, it could get that way. It could be too much. It could be too deep, but I think it handles it really well. So of the two Tom Riddles, how does this one rank? I like this one more than I like the one from the later. Fundamentally I, you know, I disagree. <laughs> the the uh, Half-Blood Prince. I can't really say I have a preference. 
I just want to know why the Half-Blood Prince one is so short. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Um, I just feel like this guy, uh, like, telegraphs evil while, like, trying to pretend to not be evil, whereas the other guy telegraphs evil but is just, like, trying to intimidate you with his evil. (laughs) This guy looks like a guy who would get rid of his nose for a snake nose. I mean that's fair. I, yeah, that's a weird yeah. thing to say, but it's I, I see what you're getting where you're coming from on it. It only applies to this one character. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, just just g- jumping right to the end, the whole the whole uh, blinding of the basilisk is pretty fucking gruesome for a kids movie. Yeah. Yeah. That that like I said, I think this movie is is heavier than than people give it credit for. Yeah. Um, and, and, but presents it in such a nice package that we feel like we can show our children. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> uh, is there anything else we wanted to hit on before we move on to three? Trying to think. I think, the, Kenneth- I think the only thing I'd like to hit on is just another compliment for Chris Columbus. Cause I think he, he gets railed on a lot of these first two movies are, are bad because of him and stuff. And I, obviously none of us agree with that, but I think one of the things he does really well is he does the bits of making Hogwarts seem like a place you want to be like a warm, friendly, inviting place. Whereas after this, you don't really see a lot of that. So that's (laughs) another good thing. That's it's good that it's established early in these two. I mean, to be fair, every single year they go to Hogwarts, somebody tries to kill them. So it's kind of like a (laughs) fool me once, fool me twice. All right. You're not going to fool me three times. (laughs) Maybe public school. Isn't that bad. Maybe it's not. At some point between the making of this or the release of this film and the making of the next film, somebody thought, this shit's like Halloween. <laughs> right. And then the whole aesthetic became Halloween. Yeah. But I, I think you're right at this time. It, it, if I'm comparing it to holidays, it's still kind of, Hogwarts still kind of feels like Christmas. It does. Yeah, totally. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, one other thing I want to touch on before you leave this one. At the end of this movie, when uh, Harry... Uh, secretly gives Dobby his freedom. Uh, Lucius Malfoy is 100% trying to cast the death curse on him, on Harry. <laughs> and I'm just like, my, my bro, they're like, you know, there's levels. You don't, have to, you don't have to jump straight to the top. I have a dog that looks a lot like Dobby, and I'm always trying to give him socks and shit to see if he'll leave, but he never does. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I hate the Dobby character. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I have no sympathy for him. Ooh. When he dies, I don't cry. Oh man, see, I I'd never liked him until that scene. Then retroactively, I love him. That yeah. scene just breaks me up. There, the well, we'll spoilers keep... for eight <laughs> yeah, I was about to say we'll save that for another day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll move on to number three, which is Prisoner of Azkaban, which is I think a lot of people's favorite book. Uh, yeah, uh, the introduction of Sirius Black, and uh, yeah, a, a pretty dramatic tonal shift for uh, for the movies directed by. Alfonso Cuaron, famous mm. for what did he do? Children of Men, Gravity, Gravity? yeah, uh, weird shit. This is a weird turn for him. Yeah, unexpected. I mean, he did this before he. I don't know if it was before Children of Men, but it was definitely before Gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this one I think is remembered. I mean, I really like this film and I really like this book, but I think one of the big draws is it's the most self-contained story. Mm of all of them. Like in this one, Voldemort does not make any attempt to kill Harry's life. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is the only one Voldemort really plays no part in except yeah. for, as part of history. So this one's just like a, this one's just a, you know, fun little side quest where we get introduced to the coolest, the, the two coolest. Cause you also get Remus Lupin mm-hmm. uh, characters and all of Harry Potter. I like that you say it's a fun little side quest, but it's the one that the, like the primary uh, antagonist and general theme is these uh, soul-sucking, uh, depression-feeding <laughs> darkness creatures yeah, that true. are just looming literally everywhere. Yeah, I the the design of the Dementors too is really scary. Yeah, well, it's funny you you ta- touched on this with Chris Columbus, and I think it's something that Alfonso uh, Cuaron smartly like capitalizes on and doubles down on, which is kind of emphasizing like the really physical aspects of the magic, like even in the first introduction of the Dementors, there's that moment of the fingers crawling around the door before it pulls the door open in, in the train car. 
that like it, it's it's like spine tingling. That shit is like right. gets you. Uh, but he, in general, like he just does such a good job of like you know any of the things that the the spells might do, like open doors or or pick things up. Like there's a, there's a focus on the very mechanical aspects that you know I feel like to our semi-logical brains, it's like, oh yeah, no, this, I see how this works. This makes sense to me. Uh, and really like immerses you further into this world. Have either of you guys ever been, have been to uh, Universal Studios and been to the Hogwarts stuff? No, Hogsmeade I, I have and... not. Sarah's been a billion times that I've never Man, <laughs> one of the coolest things is between um, Diagon Alley and, and Hogsmeade, you can take the Hogwarts Express. And... Um, it's like kind of like a ride at one point it stops. And what you think is just like your, you know, your little room cart door is really like a monitor. And so it like freezes over and a Dementor passes by and it, it feels Hmm. very real. Like it feels exactly like that scene. Um, I, you know, there are cooler rides for sure, but if you're like a Harry Potter fan, I think that moment is the the closest moment you will experience of like being in this world. It's just such a well done experience. Hmm. Um, right highly on. recommend it. Yeah, I, you know, I know. Like, like I said, Sarah's been like fifty times. I think she's going again next month. So uh, I, I, I'm assuming I'll be allowed to go at some. I, I do know not to promote Universal Studios because they're not going to pay us. But I think if you're a Florida resident and you go right now you just have to pay for one day and you can go any other day the rest of the year oh right <laughs> nice but you, i mean you, you gotta risk the covid for but sure. if right. you're fine with that yeah you know you can get your money's worth out of it <laughs> back to prisoner of azkaban <laughs> uh, uh, you know the thing about this one is is that it's it's the first one where jk rowling's lets the director off the chain you know he we're basically like okay you can muddle around with the story points and sort of cut some things out because I trust this director. And I think there's some things about it that that was good and some things about it that were a mistake. Uh, I think it was a mistake. Um, I, I really think of, you know, okay, Joseph was talking about earlier that all these are mysteries. And I totally agree with that. That, uh, that, you know, why people who are 5, 15, or 50 enjoy these is if you're 5, it's just a cool story about wizards and kids who, you know, you know, are heroes in the end. But if you're older, they're really good mysteries. And they're the kind of mysteries that, like, when the twist happens, you're like, oh, shit, I should have been able to solve that. All the pieces were there. Mm. And this book is the best one for that, but the movie doesn't land it. When the when the twist happens in the movie, it's who gives a shit. I wasn't sure if that was me accurately reading it or if that was just me being uh, jaded, like Ian's gotten jaded and just shitty on on any kind of time travel bullshit these days. <laughs> right. Because I also felt like, uh, like as soon as we started the first time around, and you know, obviously right. I know that like what what the solution, what the end of the mystery is. I'm like, oh, right. This feels real tenuously and bullshit. Uh, I just remember I like reading this book and from the point where I, I was reading it late at night about one thirty in the morning, we got to the point where we realized who Scabbers really was. Hmm. And I was like, well, shit, I'm not going to put this fucking thing down till I'm done. And I read the entire rest of the book over the night. So there was nothing like the movie just doesn't hit like that. Yeah. It doesn't earn the Peter Pettigrew reveal. Right it doesn't do enough to establish there's like one scene where Remus tells Harry about who Peter Pettigrew was. And then the scene in the hallway. Um, and the, the book does a better job of really explaining why that's important. And I think one thing, Jehu, that the reason why, or one thing that the movie avoids is the Marauders map. Like we never get the history of the Marauders map in the film. Right. I, was I about, also noticed I, that. I was about to say that, but I was going to use full-on geek voice for that. We never even find out who the Marauders map really belonged to. <laughs> you know, I mean, but I mean that shit, and like, and like that's important. Literally, literally, every other movie after that is like, well, maybe they'll clear up that shit in this movie, but they, they never do. Uh, yeah, I don't think they ever defined like the Padfoot prongs, any of those kind of things, but they use them in later right. movies. There, there is a thing with the later movies that I would genuinely like to talk to someone 
who's never read the books and see if they enjoy them as much as someone who has. But mm. it's hard to find someone like that. It is, especially in our circles. <laughs> right, right. The good thing I think that this one brings to the table is this director said, hey, these robes are getting tired. Give these kids some chucks and hoodies. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually, I, that was one of the things I was curious about. Because I know that you have a specific opinion about hair hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this best hair or worst hair? This is this one's like midland hair. Okay. Best hair is coming up real soon. But this one <laughs> this one's the first one there we're like, "Oh shit, well, you know what? We don't have to stick to exactly what these hairdos are in the book so we can make these kids look cool." I and, feel like, uh, yeah. I feel like everyone's cuz apparently Quaron was like pretty much like wear whatever you're going to wear like you would wear it if you were going to this school. And I feel like all those kids were like, well, I'm going to take this bowl cut and just run my hair through it. And that's going to be my, my haircut in this movie. <laughs> right, 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 See, right. but I feel like that was very of the time. Like, Maybe. When did this movie know. come out? 2005, 2006. I feel like that was very much, certainly Goblet of Fire. That hair, those hairstyles are what teenagers were wearing at that sure, time. Right. Um, but I do, I always kind of imagine it that they were supposed to wear the robes. And then they were just like walking the set, carrying them. And Kieran's like, drop the fucking robes. Leave it. <laughs> right. Just right. wear that. Right. Like it was just an instinctual decision on the spot. They're walking to the buckbeat scene and he's like, fuck them robes. <laughs> right. Also, how often I didn't I didn't really piece it together in watching these individually, but Henry gets shit on a lot. Just like a <laughs> lot in yeah. these stories. Yeah. I don't know if it's if it's just like you know wrong place wrong time. I don't know if it's like a half giant discrimination thing. I don't know if it's just like he's you know kind of simple seemingly. I don't know, uh, but I feel like people pick on that motherfucker a lot as an adult. You know, tell yeah, me, I feel- if Dumbledore and these three kids are the only people who are civil to have uh, for sure. Well, he's so he's so like pro Dumbledore, and I get because he's nice to him. But I would be like, bro, you're my boss. Like, stand the fuck up for me every for once sure. in a while. I got twelve year old shitting on me. Can you say something? Right. Intervene. Shit. Shit. Well, I guess he did. He had kids free his little hippogriff or whatever. But right. you know, All right. and then like, not tell anybody about it. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> and and speaking of Dumbledore, this one's the movie that really starts the trend of. All these movies would be so much easier if Dumbledore would just fucking tell Harry anything. Anything. Yeah. Just anything yeah. at all. It's always at the end. It's like, oh, I was trying to protect you. Oh, really? Well, I almost fucking died multiple times. You weren't doing a good job. Like, I, I, I feel like at least after two times, Dumbledore should have been like, you know what? This kid's probably going to get in the middle of this shit, so I should just go ahead and tell him what's up. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite of these four. It is not my favorite film, but it is I, my favorite. Of these I think four. it is objectively the best of the first four. Even See, though- I, think I, I think I like two better. I, this one, like I said, I, you know, I feel like this one was kind of growing pains movie. And it, you know, it, uh, it sort of almost overcorrected the issues with the first two. It definitely sets the tone that I think we'll see continue for the rest of the series. I mean, totally. Once they do this movie, it's like, okay, this is the formula. This is what we do the rest of the way. This is what these movies look like. So I think that brings us to Goblet of Fire, which in my opinion, the worst film. Totally agree. I think it is the worst of the eight. See, I disagree. Although I'm going to admit most of my disagreements are based on the fact best hair ever. Whatever story problems you're going to bring up, these kids look fucking great while they're doing it. <laughs> they all look like they belong in a monkey's cover band. <laughs> I, yeah. to, me, to me, they all look like they would be in a band of that time, like you said earlier. Like, like if, if they, in the middle of the movie, stopped at what they were doing and started playing a killer song, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure that wouldn't make this movie better, you know? <laughs> well, I mean... Why, um, why weren't there music videos <laughs> with, with the Harry Potter movies? We did it for Spider-Man. We can do it for Harry Potter. Yeah, well, you give me a song as good as fucking Dashboard Confessionals Vindicated and then I, for Harry Potter, and then we can talk. <laughs> this movie has some new, more new introductions, and unlike other ones, these are one-offs. Like, you don't really see Victor Crumb again. Fleur comes back for, like, one scene. Yep. Right. Uh, and... 
than, of course, Mr. Vampire himself, Cedric Diggory. Yep. Right. Um, and he's okay in this movie. I mean, he's not asked yeah. to do a lot, but yes. Who knew that guy would be Batman, you know? Right. It's, I mean, I, he's not even in the top five people in this movie, I would have guessed, would have been Batman. <laughs> Well, now I have to ask who the other yeah. five people are. <laughs> okay, I may have just been talking bullshit at that point. Although, you know, I mean, fuck, uh, a, a, a fucking Snape is Batman movie? I'd, I would watch that. <laughs> Alan Rickman Batman? Like, I'm down. Yeah, Alan Rickman Batman. Like, it's Dark Knight Returns, but instead of being like an old, like, grizzled, dirty, hot, hairy type, he just sort of turns into a, a more capable version of Alfred. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I was just um, trying I was just trying to think of men that could be Batman in these movies. And I just realized there's not a lot of strong chins in the Harry Potter franchise. There's basically Kenneth Branagh. That's it. Oh man. Uh David Tennant is in this movie. He sure is. That's true. For like five minutes. My I have to throw in some Doctor Who trivia. Um the first Doctor Who episode with David Tennant was called The Parting of Ways, which is the last chapter of Goblet of Fire, mm. <laughs> which is the movie he's in. This, this movie just, I think, I don't think Goblet of Fire is a great book, but it is, there's just so much. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. no way to simplify that plot. And yeah. they try in this movie, right. and it, I just don't think it hits well. Yeah, I just think uh, you know it, it's not it's not quite as bad as like a, a Batman v Superman, but uh, I just feel like most of the correct information is there, uh, but there's just there's not enough connectivity between scenes, uh, and especially once we get like towards the end, like it doesn't it doesn't feel like we're reaching the culmination of all the stuff we've been building up to, the whole story the end of the maze the into you know the the port key into the graveyard just feels like another random scene tacked onto the the other scenes to me i do think this movie ends really strong though i do think that that cemetery scene is pretty dope ray fines is just such a great presence as voldemort for sure i always thought i was assumed that he hated this role but i looked it up and apparently he had a great time with this role which i mean it comes through but i just uh, think he hates the makeup i mean look who wouldn't yeah, I think he definitely realized, look, I've done a lot of things that have been awarded and lauded, but this is the shit that people are going to remember me for, so I better go for it. He's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, He's just, I, it, he is really good, though. He is very good. I, I, you know, you guys just like this one, but you guys haven't brought up, like, the. there's only one scene in this I truly fucking hate, and that's the, uh, uh, the Harry versus the dragon scene. And just because that scene is so cool in the book of, you know, Harry is obviously clever and he's obviously a stand-up dude, but he doesn't do a lot of great wizarding. And uh, that's one of the first scenes where you see where I was like, oh, well, that's what Harry's thing is with, the, with, uh, with being a wizard. He did a clever thing with being a wizard. And how it's played out in the book is just so much better than in the movie where it's just a three-minute CGI kit. Uh, chase that looks awful. Uh-huh. I do think to that point, one of the strengths of the the book, um, it, it does a really good job of explaining how Harry becomes capable of completing his task mm-hmm. and how um, Barty Crouch Jr. as Mad-Eye movie, Moody influences those things so much. Right. Whereas the twist basically comes out of nowhere in the movie. Like it, <laughs> right. it doesn't feel earned to me in this movie. Right. Well, and particularly because you're not that attached to Mad Eye at that point. No. You know, no. like the, in the book, you're sort of attached to him. And in the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's a bad guy who gives a shit. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? What else do I dislike about this film? I mean, from an, uh, this is not a, a new take, but the whole Triwizard Tournament is objectively a terrible spectator sport. It's just the Hunger Games, but. Yeah, at least the Hunger Games had like cameras, you know, like right. none of the action takes place where anyone can fucking see it. Yeah, I do he, like he's risking I, children's lives. Yeah, yeah. The the one the one small touch that I do like, and I was probably in the book, but I feel like was a a choice in this movie is when Harry port keys back to the Hogwarts grounds at the beginning of the maze, 
like everyone's celebrating and like the band is playing while Harry's like fucking screaming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like there's just like this moment where like everyone has to be like, ah, ah, you know, like, wait, what the fuck is going on? I really like that moment. I think that's pretty, right. uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty fucking like heart wrenching and like affecting, but you know, again, it's, it's a dark choice for a children's film. Right. I do think the band what what Whoville shit are they playing For sure. in that scene? <laughs> I mean, look, this is also the one where it's got like the Triwizard Ball where there's like a waltz bit and then there's just like a shitty wizard band that uh that they that plays afterwards. Okay, I first like of all, that band. A, oh, that's not a shitty wizard band. Jarvis Cocker's in that band. That band's awesome. I like that bit. Uh, I dislike how they do, again, talking about comparison to book to film, the Ireland versus Bulgaria Quidditch match in the beginning. Like, there's a lot of shit that happens there that we do not talk about. Right. That was a budget like, thing. I'm, I think it was more of a time constraint thing, that, which yeah. is like with, you know, Barty Crouch and his elf and um, that, you know, freaking Barty Crouch Jr. was there the whole freaking time sitting right inside <laughs> him. Like, they just changed so much of that. And, and I guess it's really not important, but I, guess I connect that, my... That's, that's the establishment, you know? That's, that, I guess that's, I feel like, what makes it satisfying in the payoff. But, yeah, and we never, that never answers how Barty Crouch escapes prison. Right. The film doesn't. And that also kind of annoys me, because it was this big deal that Sirius does it. And now, I, I guess, because we have a precedent, we're not supposed to, like, wonder. Um, right. But... I don't know. I just feel like it really fails on establishing who Barty Crouch Jr. is and his plot throughout the movie and why it's so effective and why it works. Again, I don't think Goblet of Fire is a great book, but I think the Mad-Eye Moody switch and all that, I think it's earned much more, or it's much more well-developed in the book than it is in this film. Also, I think in the book, probably uh, uh, doesn't Sirius play a bigger part than just a face in a fireplace? Not really. Not much. There, there's some letters. I know he's like up in a right. cave with Buckbeak kind of right. not far away and he gives some tips, but uh, I do think they only communicate through the fireplace like, maybe a couple more times than we see in the movie. Right on. But yeah, yeah I, this, I, this I, one's I, my least favorite of the four. I, agreed. I mean, I, I say all that to say this movie is still better than Transformers. The, the oh, worst definitely. one of the series is still better than Transformers. Yeah. I've watched I this movie 20 times. I think this is the worst of the entire series but we'll get to that in the next episode. I'm excited to get to that <laughs> because I'm interested to see which of the remaining four are on the, on the chopping block for you. There, there's one of them that just enrages me, but we'll get to it when we get to it. Ooh, I'm so excited. I know. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that's about it. Is there anything else we wanted to hit on? Not with these. Uh, yeah, Six in a tent coming next week. <laughs> I'm generally impressed. We, we actually did this in like, you know, reasonable-ish time for us we didn't feel the need to break it down scene by scene which is normally our cardinal sin that's probably the best for the best i i just don't think there's anybody who hasn't seen these we don't need to break them down scene by scene that's kind of what i figured uh but yeah that's uh harry potter one through four uh so do we want to just complete the the franchise next week it's not like we have anything better planned that's fair all right yeah so five through eight next week uh, but cool. What have we been watching this past week, guys? So I'm going to start with something that I watched two weeks ago, but totally forgot about. About, I don't know how long ago. It may have been a year ago. We did songs and like movies those songs are from. And Jehu brought up that thing you do. And Joseph and I had not seen it. I finally watched it. What did you uh, think? Okay, I have two thoughts. <laughs> and they sound negative, but they're really not. Okay. I will go the rest of my life and never listen to that song because, God, they play it a ton in that movie. <laughs> the, the guy who wrote it said, really, that was the big challenge. He's like, I've got to write a song that you won't get tired of hearing 30 times in one movie. The other, um, I guess, critique, but I, again, I don't even really mean it. There's not really any plot to this movie. It's not like they got together, they broke up, and this is right. how they got back. It's just they got famous, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, that is true. But, I mean, a lot of friggin' famous people in this film. Uh, and it's, it's a pretty fun, like, Kate and I watched Kate's a huge fan of this. I had no idea. It's very rare. We come across a movie she's seen that I haven't. All right. And uh, she's a big fan of it. And so we just sat down one evening and, you know, it's like 90 minutes long. And 
it's not going to hurt your feelings. You're just going to have a good time watching it. Right. I, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think one of the things I really like about it is that it never does anything. Like, whenever I see movies that are about bands, I always feel sorry for cops. Because, I mean, like any other movie or TV show you watch about a band, they can't get through five minutes without doing something that's like, oh, that, that, that just doesn't happen. That's not a thing that happens when you play in a band. So that must be what it's like for a cop anytime they watch television. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. uh, Doctors too. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, this one, I mean, it pretty much portrays what it's like to be in a band with a bunch of dudes. And I like that there's no real big moment of irony, like the big like happenstance uh, that happens that, oh shit, that's what made us suddenly famous is they accidentally played the song too fast one time and then it became that song. I, I think maybe I like it just because it goes against a whole lot of cliches about music type movies. I will say two things I would like to add and that come from this as a perspective of a drummer. Number one, I've a hundred percent been there where, you know, the guitar player or whoever is like, Oh, this is the tempo of the song. And I will play that in practice. But then when we get on stage, if I think something's better, that's the way we're going to fucking play. <laughs> um, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Number two, for the most part, it looks like what they're doing is what they're playing. Like what I was hearing and what I was watching, at least from the drumming perspective, because there's a lot of shots on him as the drummer because he's kind of the main character. It, it, that makes sense. Like it all tracks. But yeah, I mean, I like this better than Transformers. I watch it again. Uh, I watched Birds of Prey, which I think oh, has changed I'm, the name to Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn. I'm so Ooh. interested about this because I also attempted to watch Birds of Prey. Did you have to stop or did you want to stop? I, I look, I don't know if you know, know guys know this about me, uh, but like, I can't like fall asleep during movies. Uh, Cause I'm, I just like, I can't stop watching the screen. Uh, and I'm, I'm not generally a quitter, but like I made it 30 minutes into this piece of shit and I just could not watch another fucking second of it. I didn't hate it. I think it's, Oh my God. I don't think it's, <laughs> don't think it's great. Um, but I don't really have a problem with it. I, I, I will say, I think there is a lot of unnecessary things. Like, I don't know why Huntress is in this movie at all. Um, I don't even really know why Black Canary is in this movie at all. Like it could just be a Harley Quinn versus Black Mask movie. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty short, so I get, maybe there's not a lot of room to cut the fat. Um, but it did feel maybe a little unnecessary. I don't even want to say overcomplicated because it's not, it's not it's complicated. It's just, it, it, it the first 30 minutes, which is the only bit that I watched, it felt super disjointed. It felt like it was going for a tone and like a, you know, a fun kind of suicide squatty vibe, but you know, less on the murder, more on the fun, but it just does not earn it. Uh, and it just felt like the most winding elevator pitch of like establishment of, of all of the shit that's going on that I feel like it just, it, it needed, it needed sharper eyes, more experienced probably hands probably on the director and like fucking cut it way down. Like <laughs> fi figure out what this fucking story is about before you try and tell the fucking story. See, yeah, I just don't, I, I, I don't get the suicide impression at all. Uh, suicide squad impression from it. Um, especially, I think maybe in the first 30 minutes, that's true. Cause it, 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 it does try to kind of feel like it takes place in the same universe, but as the movie goes on, it definitely separates itself from that. Um, and it eventually know. just kind of, it, it kind of becomes like a raid style, just zany, but like zany and weird. Um, you know, it's like, five chicks locked in a building and that building's being just overrun by goons and they just have to fight their way out. And Fuck. while they're doing it, like, you know, Harley's hitting people with a hammer and uh, Huntress is shooting people through the throat with a bow and arrow. And they're all doing that to um, ballroom blitz. Like, I, you know, like it just, that part is, I, it's pretty entertaining to Don't me. Don't try to sell me shit on shit that appeals to me. I did like the only bit that I got to in the early bit is the, uh, the, police office or the police station uh raid where she just goes in there with the the beanbag yeah. gun or whatever uh and that you know what that was pretty good so maybe maybe it's just the action sequence maybe i should just skip the talkie bits 
Yeah, that and that's that's kind of more the style of the rest of the movie after that. Um, but I I think the what makes the movie because I was more iffy on it until the ending. The way the black mask thing breaks down at the end, I fucking loved. I thought it was genius uh, and hilarious. Um, it kind of takes a while to get there, and I don't think the Roman you get in the movie is very comic accurate, but. Ewan's hamming it up, and it's fun. And again, I think the way it ends is 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 pretty entertaining. On HBO Max, which hasn't paid us yet, but hopefully they will one day. <laughs> I have one more HBO Max thing, but of I'm going to skip it and come back to it. Uh, I started Legend of Korra. I am like halfway through the second season. First season is fucking great. Yep. Um, I really, really liked it. The whole, both the world, the concept, um, all the characters... J.K. Simmons. Simmons. Yes! <laughs> um, all in. The second season, you know, Joseph, you kind of, well, you and I texted about it. It really just feels like they didn't know where they were going. So it, it kind of feels repetitious to the first season. Like it's, it's very like political climate and two parties rising up against each other. And there's a brother connection. And that all, it just doesn't feel like I mean, it doesn't feel like it enhances the story any yeah, other they, than they, maybe the spirit world stuff. But. They they lose some dramatic character threads in this when they realize the first season's over and they're like, oh no, this was this was the end of their story and then it was happily ever after and then they didn't know where else to write them. Uh, some of them get back on track and some of them don't over the course of the series. Uh, it's pretty short. I think it's only like 50 episodes. Yeah, so I, I think, think I'll be done with it. I the think they the introduce Varric in the second season. Yes. Varric's fucking great. <laughs> he continues yeah. to be great for the whole series. I started Hard Knocks. Oh, yeah. And it's okay. Okay. It's kind of it's about the not, first Rams season. Yeah. Um, I definitely prefer the Chargers bits than I do the Rams bits. And I like Sean McVay way less after this. He just is like real cheesy and dorky. And I mean, he's buff as shit. And he like, <laughs> you know, shows off how he can like do get his dog to shoot basketball goals and i don't care but anthony lynn seems like a real cool guy um and that was fine and then i watched the first episode of lovecraft country and i was hoping you guys have also watched it Mm -mm. i i actually didn't because i assumed we'd be doing an episode on it at some point we should it's weird the three leads are great though but I have no idea what to anticipate. Have either of you ever read any of like HP Lovecraft stuff? Mm-mm. I've read a little, but more I've read stuff inspired by HP Lovecraft. Right. You know. So uh, I have read some Lovecraft mm-hmm. and uh, I really like his stuff and I'm really sad. It's something that like Hollywood hasn't really like mined. And mind you, I get that he's, he's kind of controversial, um, but I am very intrigued where this show is going, and I certainly I have no but I have no idea. Like it, it feels like horror lost, and it definitely though feels like they're riding kind of the piggyback off Watchmen. Like there is still very much like, oh, we're going to tell this fantastical story, but it's going to have this race relation element. And not that I have a problem with that. It just is the last big like HBO spectacle show. Watchmen did it and it did it so well right. that I, I hope this is able to kind of carry that torch and not just play off. Having said that, I have a friend who worked on this show. He was a script advisor and uh, I thought about trying to get him to come on here if we do okay. an episode on it. Yeah, cool. Um, That's yeah, it. I, I, you know, I, I have complex feelings about H.B. Lovecraft. I don't really know why we're trying to salvage him. Like, you know, he was, he was a pretty terrible dude and, yeah, uh, and you know, I, if, I don't know if he brought something positive to the table, but since everything he brings is just uh, misery and dread, I don't know why we're trying to salvage that. <laughs> that being said, this show looks fucking great, and of course I'm going to watch it. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Cthulhu story and At the Mountains of Madness. Those are two stories that I, I personally just really, really enjoy and I think could be done really, really well. But I agree, as a troubled person, he is definitely up there. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, and if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, just Google H.P. Lovecraft's cat's name, and that'll <laughs> answer all your questions. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. I also, uh, just just an aside, if I was ever going to do a TED Talk, it would be on either one of two subjects. 
one of which was Superman canonically did not have a mullet. And the other one being H.P. Uh, Lovecraft versus, Je versus Jack Kirby. Those are, my two, those are my two areas of expertise. I won't get into either of them right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I watched something like three weeks ago, and it got put off. And then, I'll, I, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it next week. And then next week was Gunsmoke, and I talked about Gunsmoke instead. And I was like, today I'll talk about what that thing I've been putting off. And I still can't remember what it was. So uh, I guess I'll just talk about something I talked about a little last week, which was uh, I finished the Umbrella Academy. Hmm. And uh, sort of uh, Christian brought up the thing that, the, you know, Lovecraft uh, is sort of doing this thing where, uh, you know, fantasy meets racial issues. And one of the things that uh, I don't remember if Christian brought up or not when he talked about this is that Umbrella Academy tries to do that, and it probably would have been a lot better if it wasn't right after Watchmen. Like it just seemed, yeah. it seemed like, oh, this is this is the this is the shallow end of this. This is the kiddie pool version of this. It wasn't bad. It just looked bad in comparison. And I imagine, you know, sandwiched in between it and. Uh, and Lovecraft Country, it's probably going to look even worse. That I will say this, and for yep. to that point, you're absolutely right, and that's kind of my fear with the Lovecraft Country one. However, the Lovecraft Country one is very real and very brutal. Um, right I on. just don't. I don't know if it just like Watchmen did such a good job of relaying those messages mm -hmm. that I don't know. I don't think Umbrella Academy hits as well, and I, my fear is that Lovecraft Country won't, and I hope it does. But you're, I didn't even make that connection but you're dead on that umbrella academy kind of has continued this trend right um that's it overall i like this show a lot better than transformers um the guy who plays klaus is great i think we talked about in the last episode and the kid who plays five is great you know I, he's an I asshole keep, he is such an asshole <laughs> but uh I, I keep waiting to find out that he's actually 36 years old but he's actually Really a teenager, which is fascinating. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's all I got. Good show. Watch that. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't watch very much this week. I'm, I'm uh, taking a week off my Ghibli watch because the wife wasn't here. So the one thing that I really watched besides 30 minutes of Harley Quinn or Birds of Prey or whatever the fuck we're calling it uh, was the uh, Venom knockoff upgrade with oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Logan Marshall Green, who looks exactly like Tom Hardy. You know what? Pretty fun. It's uh, fairly predictable. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like you're going to be surprised by a lot in the story, but I think it's like well put together. It's shot really well. The fight scenes in particular are a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know. I've, I think it was, a, it was just a generally pretty fun time that was like 100 minutes, which is, you know, in my wheelhouse. I prefer 90 or less, but I could do 100. That said... I can tell, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is the reason, but, uh, you know, I could tell from this movie why uh, Logan Marshall Green wasn't the one who made it into Venom. <laughs> right uh, on. But uh, it, is, it is striking. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, you know, doppelgangers, like your Tobey Maguire's, Jake Gyllenhaal's, that kind of things, you know, you just got to get the angle right, you know, and right. that's, that's when this guy, it's just all angles. They're really the same fucking person. Tom Hardy has a slightly like wider face, but that's really about it. Uh, you know what's yeah. what's funny to me is I think I completely I think uh, Tom Hardy is the better actor, but for some reason I feel like Logan Marshall Green ends up choosing better movies. I mean, I mean, look, he was in Prometheus, so he's pretty know. good in Prometheus. What are you talking about? <laughs> he's one of the better parts. That's <laughs> not saying much, but all right. Uh, but uh, Idris Elba great in that movie. <laughs> Nobody is, uh, but yeah, I, I think that's really it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, who who had time to watch much when they had to watch four Harry Potter movies? Amen. Yeah, I ended up watching five. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right, cool. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, join us next week as we finish up the Harry Potter franchise from five to eight, which is Order then we should Phoenix do New or... Mutants. It's finally coming out in theaters. But and, who's going to go to a goddamn theater? If that movie's in a theater, nothing will stop me from going. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fuck COVID. <laughs> I will go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, next week, Harry Potter 5 through 8. Uh, <laughs> if you had any other thoughts on uh, the first four Harry Potters, things that we may have overlooked, uh, maybe you think Daniel Radcliffe's acting is really great the whole way through. 
You can uh, reach us at realphonies at gmail.com uh, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at realphonies or on Instagram at real underscore phonies. Uh, you know, again, please like, rate, and subscribe our podcast. I'm doing our thing out of order. It's messed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the listeners. I'm sorry to you guys. Uh, better be. <laughs> uh, thanks to Zach Evans for our, and Brian Velasquez for our theme. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Later.